Welcome back to our Friday mailbag episode of the State of Recruiting. Uh, this is going to be our, our second uh, annual mailbag. I'm back joined with Nick Harris. Nick, thanks for joining me again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we had a, a pretty good response to the last one. Still working out some audio uh, issues over on, on your end, but we promise we're working on getting those kinks out and uh, making the podcast sound real nice. But uh, I thought we had some pretty good feedback last time. Yeah, that was my bad on the audio last week. Hoping to make it better this week, and um, hoping to make it even better next week. Just you know, working out the working out the beginner kinks, you know. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we're going to get right into it. Um, every week, we're going to put out a thread on Horns247.com soliciting your mailbag questions. Uh, you can uh, enter your questions there, and we'll read them here and answer them. Uh, we may not get to every one of them, but uh, we're going to try to get to as many as possible. Uh, so let's jump right into it. Our first question from St. Miller 3 uh, asks, why uh, why did Quay Davis drop so much in the new uh, rankings? Um, so to, uh, 24-7 did release the top 247 for 2021. It was a pretty big overhaul. That was a ranking that really hadn't been done in earnest for, for quite a while. Um, and, and Quay Davis did drop a little bit. I think he dropped about 30 spots or so. And a lot of times that means... You know, it's just other guys coming up and, and kind of pushing him down more than anything. But, you know, Quay is uh, uh, obviously an exceptional wide receiver, uh, a big play threat, a guy that can make amazing catches. But here's the two things that are really working against him is uh, he didn't have the best quarterback play at his high school, so his production was way down. And he doesn't have a lot of what we call athletic context, so there's not – uh, track times or or a really good 40 time to kind of support a reason that we should rank him so high. Now, if he had kind of the highlight reel plays he made and say a 10-700, that would be something that we could lean on to kind of push him higher. But as of right now, he doesn't really have it. Nick, um, what, are you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think you pretty much uh, hit the hammer on the nail right there. But moving forward, if he has a spring that we all kind of anticipate him having, uh, you know, where he has a pretty good uh, seven on seven uh, career with um, Fast Houston uh, and uh, has, you know, some good outings at Under Armour camps and Nike camps. I could definitely see his, see his rankings rise here in the coming weeks uh, or in the coming months, rather. Yeah, and that's, I mean, Quay will be out in Vegas um, this weekend, actually. And so we're going to be able to see him. Uh, I'll be out in Vegas for Pylon. I'll have a lot of our West Coast team will be there, Brandon Huffman and Greg Biggins, two members of our Rankings Council, and then Steve Wilpong, a third member of the Rankings Council. So three-fifths of our Rankings Council will get to see Quay Davis up close and personal this weekend, so things could could certainly change then. Um, Our next question from Hook'em Bloodstein uh, says, Other than Quay, who is the most likely Texas commit? Um, I did mention last week that I thought you know Texas is still in the lead for Quay Davis, just despite uh, him decommitting back during the fall. And I put in a crystal ball. I think Texas is right now sits in position to get his commitment back. Outside of him, uh, one of the guys I would say is um, Isaiah Nakwobia from from Dallas Skyline, who I just wrote a story about uh, this morning, Thursday, as we record this. Um, I think talking to him, it sounds like Texas is really only battling SMU and to some degree Cal and maybe Minnesota, but that's a that's really a recruitment Texas uh, can and should win. Um, other than him, I, I don't know. There's some other guys out there. Jonathan Brooks, the running back from Howitzville, I feel like could commit at any moment. Every time I talk to him, it's there's no real timeline. It's more so just I don't know. We'll figure it out when the time feels right. And you know, Texas was his first offer. I think. 
they're, it's easy to say they're out in front there. And then Terrence Cooks, the linebacker from Shadow Creek, I do think he ends up maybe you know, taking visits and really getting the most out of his recruiting process. But I think Texas made a huge impact on him when they had him on campus. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I like the Nequobia pick, but I'm probably going to go with Terrence Cooks. He just needs to get back on campus for his official, and it just depends how long that'll take. He said he wanted to take his official visit with Derek Harris Jr., so uh, whenever that happens. And yeah, over the past couple of weeks, he's been exploding with offers. I mean, just in the last week alone, he's added Virginia, Mississippi State, USC, Vanderbilt, Arizona State. So uh, he's probably going to uh, let it sit and marinate for uh, a couple of months and uh, take that official and then um, maybe Texas makes a, another pretty good impact on his official, and he commits then. Yeah, one other guy you and I were talking about pre-show is Garrett Nussmeyer, uh, the Flower Mound Marcus quarterback, is making his decision on April 12th. They'll announce it on April 18th. I think Texas is in that mix. I'm not sure that they're the leader right now, but definitely in that mix. So that could be another candidate there as well. Yeah, I agree for sure. Um, all right, this one from Bear90 says, well, uh, what, which teams or specific players will I be keeping an eye on in Vegas? So I'm just going to take this one, Nick, um, since you won't be with me. Uh, of course, we'll be watching the Texas teams. So Fast Houston will be there. They'll have guys like uh, Jalen Gilbo and Quay Davis and uh, Jadon Blue and Hunter Washington. I mean, Fast Houston will probably be the most loaded of that group we see. Uh, Team Grind out of Dallas, which will have Isaiah Nkwobia, and we'll have uh, Faison Wilson, who who <clears throat> visited Texas a couple weeks ago, um, and, and is a guy I think they've got their eye on a 2022 receiver from Lancaster. Keytron Jackson, a 2021 receiver from Royce City. Uh, Braden Shager, a 2021 quarterback from from Highland Park. Those are all guys I'll be watching. Uh, from what I understand, Team Swoosh from Dallas is going to be there. They're going to have some kids I really like, including uh, Hal Presley, a wide receiver from Mansfield Summit, and a couple of other guys. So we'll be watching those teams. And then really why I'm going to Vegas is Texas seems to, this time every year, offer a ton of California kids. They've done it again, and, and uh, Pylon Vegas is a great opportunity to see a lot of those California kids on the same field. So a lot of the offers they've made in that area I'll be seeing uh, this weekend. Just a party in Vegas this week, huh? Oh, yeah, big time. <laughs> uh, Bear 90 also asked, with the 2020 class in the books, which two prospects, um, in your opinion, was the farthest off from the general consensus? Who ended up way too low in the rankings and who ended up way too high? Um, too low. I'm just going to st- stick around in state because I-, I hate to comment on a ton of guys from out of state when I'm not as familiar, haven't seen them in as many live settings. Um, and I hate to really like, I think when we say like too high, it's a, it's a comment of me saying, you know, that I, I don't think a kid is as good as, is maybe, you know, anyone thinks he is, but it, it's not really that it's more of just, I think that sometimes prospects get overvalued at times. So when I look at too high, who, who I thought maybe ended up too high in the state. And again, I think our, uh, our, our group of evaluators goes through about as rigorous, rigorous of a process as you can possibly have, um, you know, and does everything they can to, to basically meet out this, these, the set of criteria to, to try to get these rankings the best they can. I think if I'm going to pick a guy too high, Actually, I'm going to go the other way first. Let me go too low. I'm going to say Andre Carrick. I really like Andre Carrick and Logan Parr. Those are two guys, and I know they're Texas commits, and they ended up actually 35 and 36 in the state, uh, so right next to each other. Those are two guys who I think are very high ceiling, uh, or I'm sorry, high floor 
uh, offensive lineman. And I think in Carrick's case, he's got a really high ceiling. And, um, you know, he didn't measure, he didn't have like the link that, that guys look for in offensive tackles and they didn't have, um, you know, some of those things, but I still think he's going to be a dangerous, dangerous offensive lineman. Um, and I think Logan Parr is a guy that you could possibly see as a three-year starter at playing at a very high level in college. Um, if I had to talk about somebody who I thought landed too high, I would probably say, and, and I like the kid a lot. I just thought Ryan Watts was a little bit too high for my liking um, based on what I saw on the field. He has a lot of size and a lot of athletic ability, but I just didn't see a lot of the lateral ability that I like in a corner. And um, it's a personal thing to me, but I'm I'm kind of biased on on huge corners. I kind of like the guys who are around six foot or six one. I just think those guys typically end up working out better than most. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go the other way. Uh, I'm going to start with uh, too high. I'm going to go with Hornsby, Malik Hornsby, the quarterback from Fort Bend Marshall. Uh, he did have a fantastic year uh, this year, leading Fort Bend Marshall back to the 5A Division II state title and almost uh, knocking off Alito. But I'm just not quite sure how his game translates to the next level yet. Uh, Arkansas definitely has a project there. Uh, he could he could play quarterback, but he he could also play wide receiver. Um, you could throw him at a, a multitude of positions. I'm just not sure how he translates to the next level quite yet. So I don't know how uh, I feel about him 14th in the state right now. Uh, but too low, I'm actually going to go with someone he played in the 5A Division II state title is Money Parks, uh, wide receiver from Alito. Uh, he ended up signing with Utah, which uh, Utah found another Texas steal right there. Um, he kind of exploded during the, uh, pl- his, their, uh, playoff run. Um, when Jace McClone was nursing some injuries, they, uh, relied on the, uh, passing game a little bit more and money parks and Jojo Earl, they were able to pick up the slack and, uh, lead them back to a state championship. Uh, money parks, he finished at 53 in the state. I think he easily could have been a top 35 player. I love that pick. And I'm going to tell you a money park story. I, I will always tell you when I'm right, but I'll also tell you when I'm wrong. And when I'm wrong, I, I try to own up to it. When I, you know, when Money Parks first became a thing to me that I knew about, um, you know, he was a small receiver, fast, but but just really small. And um, I just never was super impressed with him. And, and one of the guys that we know in the area would push him all the time, and I just never really bought into it. When Utah offered and took him, that really stood out to me because Utah does a great job of evaluating in our you know Texas prospects and finding guys in state. So it was something that stood out to me. But this year, I went to an Alito game and saw him, and he had grown up. I mean, he had added a lot of size, and he had a ton of length, and he was a completely different-looking player than anything I'd ever seen. So I remember leaving that game and calling Gabe Brooks, our, our regional analyst, and going, "Okay, I'm on. I'm on board with money now." And um, you know, he's. He, I think that's a great pick uh, right there. All right, uh, Hookem seven 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 says, uh, with only having ten seniors in the twenty twenty season, do you expect uh, a similar cl- uh, class and similar size to twenty one to twenty? If so, uh, with so much elite talent in state, who or what position should Texas prioritize? First of all, I think that we put a lot on numbers, and obviously numbers are something that can you know bind a class, but. For the most part, the staff does a really good job understanding what kind of attrition's in front of them, understanding how to balance those numbers and and kind of make it you know fit everything fit. And I think if they would have had more guys looking to jump on board um, this year, they would have taken more numbers. I mean, just think for instance on signing day, had Ennis Rakestraw and Princely Uma Milan 
pick Texas like you know they had offers out for, then they would have taken two more guys in this class. So there was room to work with in this class, and I think the same will be said for for twenty one. I'd actually, in fact, I would almost expect them to to try to get to twenty five um, in twenty one, just because they they took so few in this class. Uh, what positions to prioritize? I mean, I think that you got to go where the talent is. So that's offensive line, defensive line. Um, obviously, they're trying to find two quarterbacks. Uh, they're probably two running backs. And outside of that, I think this is kind of an, a bounce back year for the state as far as linebacker. There's a few more linebacker prospects. So uh, really finding guys there as well. Yeah, and I think I've said this before, but I really think the 2021 class has a there's a really good chance that Texas ends up with a solid in-state haul. Uh, just looking at the top 10 rankings um, in the state for 2021 right now, uh, six of the 10 guys have a legitimate shot at landing with Texas or are already committed to Texas. So, uh, And most of those come from the offensive line and the defensive line with guys like uh, Brocker Meyer, Jatavian Sanders. And uh, uh, then you also got LJ Johnson, who shot up into the top five in the state, who's I think Texas has a pretty good shot with. So uh, as far as prioritizing positions, I don't think that necessarily they have to do that. I think they just have to prioritize the talent this year and uh, the position play will come to them. That's a really good point. Uh, Next question from QDog90 says, Texas struggled with offering too late or not at all during the last recruiting cycle. In your opinion, who's the one or two prospects that should be considered to receive an offer for the 2021 class? Well, I think, first of all, they've done a much better job getting aggressive in this year's class. They've sent out a lot more offers, um, really. So, you know, if you look at it that way, I think if you're if you're I think we're nitpicking right now for talking about guys who don't have offers, but there are a few guys I will single out. I think Deuce Harmon, the Denton guy or corner, is a guy that I would offer. I think that uh, Andrew McCuba, the Austin LBJ corner or safety, is a guy that I would offer. And I think that um, if we're looking for outside receivers and the state is not plentiful on them, I, I really like a group of either Elijah Bean, Hal Presley from Summit, or uh, J. Michael Sturdivant from, from Flower Mound Marcus. Yeah, I was going to go with J. Michael as well. Um, he's shot up into the rankings. He moved 72 places in the in-state rankings. And uh, kind of going to the quarterback position, I like Caden Salter a lot. And I mentioned this last week, uh, but he's uh, shot up to the number one quarterback in the state now. And um, I think that's an offer that Texas could uh, definitely uh, win over and um, get him on campus at least. About that, if you uh, if we if we ran into some technical issues there, it's that's my apologies. Um, just trying to uh, do something on my computer and um, my my audio recorder started to freak out when I started to do other things. So we are back. If you miss something, we're going to try to cobble this together as best as possible. But if it sounds weird, uh, that is definitely definitely why. Um, let me get back to our questions. All right. Um, our next question comes to us from uh, Hot Rod. He says, uh, should Texas have an exceptional year in 2020, which correlates to a Big 12 championship? Does that boost the 2021 recruiting class or more for the 2022 recruiting class? Um, anything that like Big 12 championship, that's always going to go forward to the next class. Just the nature of recruiting these days. Um, the, the calendar has definitely changed. By the time you win a Big 12 championship, for the most part, most of those guys have made their decision. So I think that's definitely going to go to the uh, to the to the next class. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you might um, get some of these guys who wait till after the early signing period to sign with guys like Ennis Rakestraw uh, or Princely Umamulin um, that look back on a Big 12 title from a 2020 season and uh, maybe choose Texas over a different school. But I, I think you see that more as a, as a play for kids that wait till the second national signing day. 
so I, I think it would um, it would benefit the 2022 class more. All right, our next question from N.T. Jones, uh, 1484, says, I know it's like beating a dead horse, but what are the odds of getting James and Tommy Brockermeyer? And do you see it as a failure if Texas doesn't get them? Um, I hate to put odds on anything because odds constantly, like they constantly change. So if I say I feel 60% good right now, well, in a week that could be different and everybody's going to come back and say, well, you said 60% last week. Um, <laughs> these things are so fluid. They're always moving. They're always changing depending in, you know, basically with, with the Brockermeyers, things are kind of always changing. So, um, you know, I think that what I would say is that out of the top five, from what I know, Texas is probably either tied for first, maybe second. They're they're battling Alabama, and they've got LSU and, and Auburn closely behind them. Um, and so it's really going to play out in the spring. And I think what's really going to come down to, honestly, is when it comes time to make that decision, James and Tommy have grown up their whole lives as Longhorns, probably wanting to be Longhorns, even though the – uh, you know, maybe the smarter move at this point would probably be to go to a place like Alabama or LSU where more pro development is happening. Is there something in them that makes the decision that, you know what, I've wanted this my whole life, I'm going to do it regardless? And I think that's really what it's going to come down to. If Texas doesn't get them, is it a fail? Absolutely. I mean, you've got two really good offensive linemen. One of them is a top 10 player in the country, and they're both, you know, their brother plays on the team. Their dad is a Longhorn legend. Everything in their family is burnt orange. It is a fail, absolutely, if you don't get them. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think these are two guys that, um, kind of seemed like gimmies almost six months ago for the 2021 class, but now that both of their names are starting to heat up, um, it's definitely going to be a battle with uh, Alabama and LSU, and you know maybe Clemson and Auburn get uh, throw their hats into this race. But uh, yeah, it's definitely a fail if Texas can't land these legacies. All right, uh, next question also from NT Jones 1484 says people always say uh, Texas recruits itself. But we see every year kids passing it up and going out of state. So what do you think is the biggest thing to uh, help Texas not lose recruits minus development? Uh, I bring this one up because of the Ringo situation last year, one of the more frustrating things I've read in a while. Um, I mean, you can't minus development. That's a pretty big factor. Winning and development, I would say, relationships are probably the three biggest factors anybody anybody looks into when they, uh, you know, in their recruitment. So I think that they got to win. They've got to get back to a – if Texas was playing at a level where even Oklahoma was, where it's, you know, they're not winning playoff games, but they're winning the Big 12 every year and they are in the top four and in, in the playoff mix every year, I think that recruiting looks drastically different. And, I mean, how much drastically different can it get? They, they've had a top three class the last couple of years. I mean, I know we like to focus on the kids who leave, but, I mean, Texas has put together some really good recruiting classes the last couple of years. And that's despite not winning. Now think about what they could do if they were winning at the level of Clemson or Alabama or LSU. I mean, those are those are things that I think when you say Texas recruits itself, those are things you have to consider. Yeah, for sure. And it's it's I've kind of noticed that too. Even over the past, you could go back ten years and looking at kind of you know where Texas football has been in the last ten years, but they've still been able to put together really good recruiting classes with uh, in-state talent. It really just kind of comes down to getting on a player early uh, in their freshman, sophomore years. And uh, the staff is doing a pretty good job of that with guys, you know, in the freshman class right now with guys like Ruben Owens and uh, in the 2022 class with guys like Quinn Ewers and just getting on them early, building that relationship and uh, um, fortifying it over time. 
All right, our next question from Lucas283 says, Other schools like TCU, A&M, and Notre Dame are starting to look overseas for talents, especially in Germany. One example is uh, quarterback of TCU commit Alexander Honig. Do you see Texas looking in that direction? I think Texas has looked overseas before. They have two Australian punters um, on their team in the last couple of years. So going overseas is not a problem for them. I think that generally the staff looks at it as they're not going to leave any stone unturned. But, you know, I have to question the merit in taking a quarterback from Germany when there's eight uh Texas quarterbacks in the top two, four, seven, especially a a strong year at quarterback this year. I mean, I and that's not, you know, it was weird to me when I saw it. It's been mentioned to me by high school coaches how weird it is um, that TCU felt the need to go to Germany when when it's such a in state strong year at quarterback. So I think if it's right and they find the right fit, absolutely, they're going to always go after you know a guy if if they find the right fit, but. Um, I, I just don't think that – I don't really think you need to. I mean, football was invented in this country. Football is played better in this country than than it is out of the country. And unless you can find – I mean, now, granted, there are some fines in Canada. I, I would probably exempt Canada from that because I think, you know, the guys like Chippa Hubbard and, um, you know, Texas is in on a kid from Canada this year. I think that outside of those, um, if you're talking about really going overseas, I think that you just generally find better football players here. Yeah, and I guess aside from their trip to Australia every four years for a punter, <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I don't, I haven't seen or heard much uh, um, out of U.S. Uh, talk as far as you know getting players from overseas. But like you said, there's a lot of uh, talent up in Canada uh, with Chuba Hubbard and whatnot. So um, there's definitely some uh, untapped talent there. I wouldn't be surprised maybe if you know two, three years from now there's more of a foundation up north uh, that Texas would go and explore. Uh, but for I guess right now, if we're talking 2021 class, then uh, not many names come to mind. Yeah, and I think um, they don't even go to Australia. Australia comes to them. Pro Kick will will bring their guys on a college tour, and basically just they they basically the Pro Kick guys almost select their kids for each school and say, "Hey, you're going here. You're going there. You're going here," <laughs> and, and roll them through. So that's kind of how that works. Um, all right, uh, Poncho Lefty says, "Who are the five guys uh, in your opinion that uh, are must-haves for this cycle?" I think we talked about two. For me, we talked about two of them with the Brocker Myers. Um, I would say that uh, you've already kind of got those must-have guys in Jatavian Sanders and Billy Bowman. Those two would absolutely be must-haves for me. If they weren't already in the class, Jalen Milrow would be up there as well. Um, but I think outside of the guys who are committed, I'd say the Brockermeyers. Um, I would say Ishmael Ibrahim because you're going to need a, a star corner type. I would say um, – Elijah Arroyo, just because tight end talent is not that plentiful, and, and he seems to be a really good one. And I'd probably say Bryce Foster at that point, just to give – I'd take all the beef I could get. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Savion Bird and LJ Johnson. Those are two guys that I really like. Uh, LJ Johnson, uh, as I mentioned before, is shot up to number one in the state for running backs. Uh, and we've been talking about LJ for a long time. You know, the LJ versus Kamar debate is going to be one we hear for – the next 10 months for sure. And uh, I think LJ Johnson, if they can land him, that's a big time running back that they can get on campus. And then Savion Bird, he's mentioned before how, how much he likes Texas. And uh, I think we both have crystal balls in for him right now, but uh, his, um, his recruitment's been kind of uh, heating up over the past couple of months. But uh, that's one I would love to see this class land. Um, he, right now he's standing at number 29 in the nation and uh, the composite rankings. So 
uh, I think that's a big one here in state. All right, our last question. This will be a throwback for um, our old school listeners of no interviews, please. But um, on our mailbag segment that EJ and I did, uh, our guy uh, Charles Daniels always got the last word, and so Charles didn't get his question. <laughs> he didn't get his question into the board, but he did DM it to me. So uh, he says, first, congratulations to Nick on getting the job." Uh, his question for both of us is: uh, We watch a ton of film. On the films that have music behind them, has there ever been a song you were sick of hearing, or a song you discovered on a highlight film that you love now? Um, I'm, I'm gonna Nick. <laughs> Nick might have an answer to this. I'm gonna be very boring here and tell you that I watch all highlights on mute. <laughs> uh, first off, appreciate it, Charles. Uh, we've been interacting on Twitter over the past few months, and uh, that, that's a fun one to interact with. Uh, love Charles, but. Um, uh, we have a good friend, Guy Frazier. He's kind of complained about The Box by Roddy Rich being a song that every kid has put on their highlights recently. And honestly, I've kind of noticed it too. Like it's like six out of every 10 that I've been watching over the past couple of months has that same song. So we just need some originality. Come on, guys. You know, we need to throw in some, uh, throw in some old school. Don't be scared. My nephew likes that song. <laughs> I'm sure he he's does. like, there's a lot of kids. That well, he's like, that. he's like one and a half. But every time I play it, he starts moving. Yeah, so um, I, I, you know me, Nick. I'm I'm behind the times on on, on the new rap. But uh, anywho, I think that's gonna do it. Um, hopefully, this thing is. I've got to go figure out what's happened with my audio recorder because every time I launch a web page while we're trying to record, it says overload and shuts down. Um, so if we ran into some audio difficulties, I apologize. We're still working those kinks out. I'm going to try to edit this in a way that makes it sound good. But if you, if you hear a few weird places, that's why I think we got everything covered for the most part. Um, I, you know, we're having some fun doing this. I think we're getting some good feedback on it. I would say, uh, if, if you could do something for us, please go to iTunes, like subscribe, rate the show. Uh, it really helps us when it, when it comes to getting visibility and, and you know, really showing our show off. And um, Nick, I hope you're having fun doing it. And uh, anything you want to add before we get out of here? Uh, not really. I just wanted to throw this in right quick. I kind of mentioned it on the board last week, and I'm starting to get a little bit more involved with basketball recruiting. Um, I, I don't see it getting anywhere close to our football recruiting coverage for ever, probably. But uh, I'm trying to take on a little bit more there um, and uh, covering some of that for you guys. And uh, the Texas high school playoffs are heating up. So that's uh, something I'll be covering. And um, I'm definitely taking a lot of suggestions as far as basketball recruiting goes. Like I said, it's a fluid process. So uh, anything y'all want covered, hit me up and uh, we can get that done. Absolutely. And uh, Nick, good thing Nick's doing it because I don't know basketball. I don't like basketball and don't really want to go see basketball. So I know that a lot of you guys want the coverage and, and Nick's the guy to bring it to you. And he really likes basketball. So it'll probably come through in his coverage. Um, all right. That's going to do it for us. We appreciate everybody for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye.